Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Introducing Christianity Part 2. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus. Just a couple of uh, housekeeping from last time. So uh, in my setup here, um, I can, I've can i been following uh, the comments because I'd love to interact. And if you have questions, you know, interrupt me, put something in the comments if you have a question or a comment uh, about anything. But uh, I've been streaming to more than one location. So I'm streaming on both the Asbury page and uh, my personal Facebook page. Uh, and last week I was only seeing one set of comments. Uh, so I'm going to uh, I think I think I have it set up where I'm seeing one set of comments on the screen here and another set uh, on my phone right here to to be sure if I can catch uh, all of those comments. But it's good to be with you. It's it's a joy to be with you here uh, again. Uh, last week we talked about scripture. Tonight we're talking about Jesus. Hard to introduce Christianity uh, without talking about Jesus. So thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, hey Linda, good to see you. Uh, and Anita has tuned in, and Susan is here, Donna and Lisa. Uh, good to see uh, all of you. Uh, let's start with, with a word of prayer. Uh, gracious and most loving God, we give you thanks for calling us here tonight to talk about Jesus and the way that God in the flesh transformed and continues to transform the world. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us uh, wherever wherever we may be gathering here this evening. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, so I hope uh, you're you're watching on your phone or your computer, or maybe you're on your smart TV. I don't know what kind of setup you have, uh, but I'm glad that you're joining us. Maybe, maybe you're eating dinner. Uh, keep eating. Uh, don't let me be a distraction. Um, so it's good to see all of you. Last week, we talked about scripture, and we talked about the Bible. And it's uh, just some of the highlights real quick. Uh, it's important to know that the Bible is a library, right? It's lots of different books from lots of different sources, uh, spanning lots of time. Remember those three hurdles last time uh, that we talked about. So language, culture, and time. Uh, when we're picking up scripture, when we're reading scripture, the, those three hurdles are something that we have to hold in tension. Uh, when we're reading scripture, there's a time to be nourished by it. And then there's also a time to like break it down and study it and look at it upside down and backwards and forwards and chew on it a little bit and and really get to the heart of what uh, scripture means. Uh, oh, yes. Jennifer is watching while cooking dinner. That's that's an impressive multitask uh, right there. Uh, so uh, three hurdles, language, time and culture as Methodists. Uh, and I don't know if everyone tuning in tonight will be Methodist, uh, but as Methodists, we read scripture through three distinct lenses, tradition, reason and experience. Tradition means that we we look at what the church has taught uh, about these scriptures. Uh, I mean, really smart folks have been thinking about scripture for thousands of years. Uh, we might pay attention to what they have to say. In addition to tradition, as we're reading scripture, we look through the lens of reason. Does this text, does this scripture make sense with what we understand to be true about God in terms of, of our faith? So tradition and reason, but also experience. What has been our experience of this text as we practice our faith uh, in the real world? And, and those, um, and it's not just my experience, it's, it's our experience, right? No one has a monopoly on belief. We need our faith community to help us read and meditate and ponder and live out scripture with each other well. So the Bible is a library. 
we have to hold intention, uh, time, culture, and language. And we also read scripture, as at least as Methodists, as Wesleyans, we read scripture through tradition, reason, and experience. Uh, any questions from, from last week uh, that if you want to put in the comments uh, that we can cover before we jump into this week? Uh, while we're thinking about that, um, uh, Jennifer, I'd be interested in knowing what you're cooking for dinner uh, to see like how true of a multitasker you're. Like if it's Easy Mac, then that ain't no thing. Like I'm not impressed with that. Now, if you're doing like jambalaya or, you know, uh, uh, doing a roast or something like, you know, let's talk. Hey, Susan is here. Good to see you, Susan. <coughs> Seeing no questions. Uh, and Ivana is here. Uh, good to see you. Uh, let's jump into this week, shall we? We're going to talk about Jesus. Fancy that, uh, pastor talking about Jesus. Some introductory remarks, though, uh, as, as we jump in. Uh, good to see you, Summer. Summer has jumped in. Some introductory remarks. Kind of the impetus uh, or the catalyst of, of doing this small group is, is to protect against creating Jesus in our own image. What I mean by that is Jesus did not come to establish an ism, right? Uh, Jesus did not come to establish socialism or communism or fundamentalism or conservatism or democrat democratic ideals. Jesus isn't a Republican or a Democrat. We tend to sometimes, uh, and I'm using the royal we here, so shame on me for doing that. Uh, but we often look at the life of Jesus, try to find our own story in that. Uh, and that's not altogether bad, uh, but we we often create Jesus in our image instead of being transformed by the Christ. So diving into Jesus's story and, and what Jesus taught and, and what the scriptures say helps us have the mind of Christ instead of creating Jesus uh, in our own image. So Jennifer is cooking blackened salmon air fryer green beans, and creamed red potatoes. Uh, that sounds amazing, and I'm impressed. I'll just say that right now. I am super impressed. Uh, kudos to you uh, for watching and also cooking dinner. Rock and roll. So let's let's. here's the ledge from which we'll jump. It's important to recognize that Jesus didn't come to establish an ism, right? Whatever that ism is. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God, which is wholly other. This is a great book. Uh, by Will Williman and Stanley Hauerwas called Resident Aliens. And as Christians, we are called to be resident aliens, a part of the community, but also other and, and, and revealing what it means uh, to live in this, this kingdom uh, that got established in the person of Jesus. So let's be careful in not making Jesus in our image, uh, but looking to have the same mind of Christ. Or as I said on Sunday, May it be so that Christ is living within us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So that's our first assumption. Uh, secondly, um, then how do we know anything about Jesus anyway? <laughs> if, we, if we were not supposed to make Jesus in our own image, then what image is that? What are, what are we looking at? Well, our primary source, uh, of course, uh, Tammy, good to see you. Thanks for tuning in, um, it, are the Gospels. Uh, in the New Testament, the first four books of uh, the New Testament or the Christian scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a particular kind of literature, right? 
uh, as I said last week, the, the Bible has lots of different kinds of literature. There's poetry, there's law, there's blueprints, uh, there's wisdom. Uh, there's also narrative, like family narrative, like Abraham's story, right? There's this narrative here. The gospels are, are good news language, means, which means it's kind of like biography, but it's not. The point of the gospels isn't Jesus did this on a Tuesday and then later signed this edict on Friday, that kind of thing. It is a theological writing to understand what I call the Christ event, to understand Jesus's life, uh, life, suffering, death, and resurrection, right? <clears throat> so we have to start with the Gospels. Now, th this is a fun thing uh, because the Gospels uh, start with Mark. Mark is the oldest Gospel, probably written around 70 AD or ACE, whatever your flavor, that's fine. Uh, Lacey, good to see you. I uh, see that you've jumped in. Uh, Mark is the oldest gospel, and it was uh, written down. There was an oral tradition, but it was written down probably around the year 70. Uh, and then Matthew comes later, probably written down around the year 80. And then Luke, uh, around the same kind of time, but closer to the year 90, uh, maybe 85 to 90, something like that. And then the Gospel of John is much later, probably early second century, could be as uh, year 100 at the earliest, maybe 115, 120 uh, at the latest. So understand that these, these writings of Jesus about uh, Jesus's life and Jesus's story are written down like 40 years after Jesus's death and resurrection. And we do need to wrestle with that. Like, it's okay to wrestle with that. Uh, there are some parts of the Bible that are anachronistic because of that. So imagine uh, the Gospels, right? So imagine, oh, oh, in addition to that, <laughs> I'm rambling now. In addition to, like, for example, the Gospel of Mark being written down around the year 70, Jesus was crucified, we think, around the year 33 uh, AD or ACE. With Mark being written down in the year 70, that's 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 quite a gap. But the, the earliest manuscript we have of the Gospel of Mark is late 3rd century and early 4th century. So imagine as if today we find a copy of someone's journal about the American Revolution that was written in 1820. Is, is that, that's kind of the metaphor, right? So it's there's a journal that was written something like 40 years after the American Revolution, and we're just now reading it, 300 years or so removed. Uh, and those are the Gospels. That's just kind of a fun thing to know as we wrestle with Scripture and as we, we try to make sense of it. Uh, it's as if we're reading about the American Revolution today by finding a journal that was written 40 years after uh, the revolution happened. So just hold that intention when we're when we're reading the Gospels and reading about Jesus's life, it is a theological expression of uh, the the people uh, who followed Jesus and who started. It's called the Way. It wasn't called the Church initially. Uh, they weren't called Christians initially. It was people of the Way. Jesus came to establish the Way. That's kind of a cool thing. And the Bible does this, and it's okay that the Bible does this. For example, there are some things that are anachronistic. So how do we know that Mark was written in the year? 70 AD, or at least like not, not earlier than that. So for example, if we find a journal uh, or like a newspaper article or some writing 
and it mentions a steam-powered uh, boat or steam-powered engine. We know that that was written at least after uh, 1804, I think. It, I wrote it down here. I don't know if I can find it. Um, early 1800s. I'll find it eventually. Um, something like 1805, because that was when the steam-powered engine was invented. Right. So it, we know that the writing wasn't from the 1750s, for example, uh, because steam powered engines weren't around. Right. So if, if a writing mentions steam powered locomotives uh, or engines, really, we know that at least that was written after 1804. Right. Uh, and it probably was written before 1870 or so because there were other modes of, of transportation uh, by then. You know, 1900s, uh, cars started uh, hitting the scene. Uh, and they were no longer steam. They weren't steam powered cars. See what I'm saying? These little context clues and markers help us date written works, right? So the kind of language that Mark uses puts it around the year 70. Um, but uh, the earliest copy we have is from the, the end of the third century and the beginning of the fourth century, right? So it's just an interesting thing to kind of hold in tension, right? Uh, like I said, the Bible does this. There's, there are some anachronistic uh, parts of the Bible. For example, there's a story in Genesis 32, I think it is, and it's Rachel's story about Rachel uh, and how she received some camels uh, from Abraham. Um, interesting thing about that is that camels weren't in the Middle East when Abraham was around. <laughs> so what does that mean? Does that mean that we throw the Bible out of the window? Absolutely not. It means that later when these stories were written down, hundreds of, hundreds of years after uh, Abraham was around, uh, camels were a sign of great wealth and great importance. And that's what they were trying to say is that Abraham is a really important and, and frankly, a wealthy figure in the history of uh, Israel a, a, as a patriarch. They weren't aware that camels weren't there when, when Abraham was. Uh, so it, there, there are some kooky and anachronistic things in scripture, and that's okay. That's because, um, or as I like to say, I'll say this, we'll get to Jesus eventually, I promise. Um, I like to say that, that you know, some claim that the Bible is, is perfect, even though that's not a claim that the Bible ever makes for itself. It says it is perfect for, it's good for teaching, right? It's perfect for teaching. It doesn't say it's perfect in and of itself. Um, and at one time, uh, I will happily admit, uh, Paul has logged on. Good to see you, Paul. Um, I will say that it may be, maybe scripture at one point was perfect, uh, but humanity has had it for thousands of years. And if the Bible is to be believed, there isn't anything we haven't screwed up, including copying scripture uh, by hand. So there's that. So when we're reading the gospels, when we're reading the story of Jesus, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, um, we have to hold intention just as we're reading that it, the earliest gospel was around the year 70. Uh, and the, the earliest copy of that we have found was late third century, and early fourth century. And that's okay. That's okay. Right. Uh, all of Paul's writings predate the gospels. And one of the reasons we know that is because Paul never referenced them. <laughs> Paul never said, as the Lord said in the gospel of Mark, right? Because Paul's letters came first. It's kind of mind blowing to think that that first generation of Christians and, and going into the second generation of Christians didn't have the New Testament. That's kind of interesting to think about. I talked a little bit about that last week 
uh, in referencing Second Timothy, where it talks about Timothy's mother and grandmother uh, and how they are uh, they should be commended because of their faith. Um, and they didn't have Second Timothy. <laughs> it's just crazy to think about. Let's talk about Jesus. Uh, another interesting thing as we dive into the story is that we have is that we have four gospels. Like that's pretty super interesting. Uh, why do we not have one? Well, in the church, we'll talk about the church next week and like church history and how how we find ourselves here today. And um, the church uh, tried to. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence has, has come uh, joined us. Good to see you, Ronnie. Um, and, and Lori is here. Good to see you, Lori. I've been chatting with you earlier today. Um, the the church at one time tried to sync all four gospels together and make one story. Uh, and uh, eventually the church said, no, this is a bad idea. Uh, we have four gospels and they offer four different portraits of, of who Jesus is and putting them together, reading them independently in their own voice. We get a, a, a fuller picture of who Jesus is. For example, Mark, start with Mark, uh, earliest gospel uh, that we have. Jesus in Mark is kind of this mysterious Messiah figure. Like the big, the big reveal of the gospel of Mark is it's called the messianic secret because Jesus does all these things. He's healing, he's teaching and uh, performing these miracles and he's telling everyone to be quiet. Don't tell anyone about it. Um, and that's super, I mean, look, if I could walk on water, I would put it on a billboard like outside of Asbury to say, Hey, our pastor can walk on. Like that's a pretty cool selling point, but Jesus is uh, doing all these things and telling people, Shh, don't tell anybody uh, that I'm the Messiah. Until Jesus gets in front of Caiaphas and he asks him, are you the son of God? And he says, I am. And that's the big reveal of the gospel of Mark. Uh, gospel of Mark is the shortest one. Uh, it's very quick. It's very brief. Uh, and Donald uh, has, has, has jumped in, uh, given us uh, uh, some words there. Um, I mean, you know, we all, uh, when we all get to heaven... Da, 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 da. Uh, yes, the 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 by and by. Um, what a glorious day that will be, uh, especially when we reflect on this last year. Um, man, I, I hope heaven's amazing. But of course, the point is to make heaven here on earth, right? Um, when we look at the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, uh, the story happens very quickly. Immediately, Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did that. Um. And uh, there's not a lot of details in the gospel of Mark. One, it's the oldest. The community is still trying to figure out who Jesus was. That's the fun thing about the disciples that they never quite got it. <laughs> they were they were walking with Jesus. They were in Jesus's ministry and they too were still kind of com confused about who Jesus was. Charmel has joined in. Good to see you, Charmel. Um, so in the gospel of Mark, Jesus is this mysterious messianic fear. We don't get any background. Like Jesus is like just there. Uh, this voice crying out in the wilderness. Uh, we don't get uh, the nativity story. We don't get a genealogy. Jesus is just there. Jesus is busy in the gospel of Mark, man. He's going here and there and bam, 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 you know, trying to, to do all of these things. And then we get to, to Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, which is written down about 10 years later uh, after, after Mark. Jesus is like, he, he's, he's very much a rabbi. He's very much a teacher. He's kind of like a new Moses. There are Hence, and it's because Matthew is writing to a Jewish community, 
right? And, and uh, the Jewish community is very familiar with the Moses story. So for example, the Sermon on the Mount, it happens on a mountain. Jesus is talking about the law from a mountaintop and, and, and first century uh, Jews in Palestine would understand that imagery as opposed to the gospel of Luke, where Jesus gives a similar, it's not the same, but a similar sermon. And it's called the sermon on the plain in the gospel of Luke. Jesus is preaching from a level place. And that is very much Luke as opposed to Matthew. Matthew, Jesus is the rabbi, the great teacher, uh, the new Moses, right? Re-narrating the law. And in Luke, Jesus spends a lot of time with outcasts. Uh, so this same sermon, the same teaching is on a level place. That means a lot in the gospel of Luke. In the gospel of Luke, so in Matthew, Jesus is uh, the great rabbi, uh, looking like a, a, a new Moses. In Luke, Jesus is the suffering servant. Uh, it, it's filled with a lot of uh, Gentile mission as opposed to the other gospels. And, and it, it dives into a lot of Jesus's suffering on behalf of the community. And then we get to the gospel of John, uh, which, which may be, I, you shouldn't have a favorite book of the Bible. Is that right? Can you have a favorite book? of the Bible? I really like the gospel of John. Uh, it, it's not an odd, it's not a, it doesn't feel like a biography like the others do. Uh, the gospel of John is a, a deep theological writing. They're la like a parfait, right? There's layers to the gospel of John. In the gospel of John, Jesus is almost like a mystic, like a, a mystic teacher, not such a rabbi, but this, this deep truth. I am uh, the bread of life. I am the good shepherd, uh, living water, right? And uh, it's just a fantastic, uh, a beautiful, deep uh, writing of who Jesus is. So our kind of our starting point, um, and uh, Catherine Benson uh, is here. Good to see you. In the beginning was the word. Yes, the gospel of John. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? It's this deep, almost mystical connection uh, to the logos, the wisdom of God. Love the Gospel of John. There's there's a lot in there uh, for us to to meditate and chew on, as there is in in the other Gospels, and of course, you know, the rest of the Bible. But the Gospel of John uh, holds a, holds a place near and dear to my heart. <laughs> right? I like John. If I have John and Romans, I have just about everything I need uh, in terms of the the New Testament. Uh, yes, it's existential. It, it, it's it, it's this. I don't want to say it's it's otherworldly, but it is certainly a much more rich theological writing than is uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's arguable, right? That's arguable. Um, but I really dig the Gospel of John. So there you go. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is kind of where we start in, in, in hearing the, the story of, of Jesus. And again, we have to hold intention that Mark wrote Jesus's story, wrote down Jesus's story for a particular audience and a particular purpose. Same with Matthew, Luke, and, and John. You know, they're all writing to a particular audience for a particular reason. And therefore, the, the writings take on a different flavor. Uh, and some things don't happen in the same order. You know, and, and again, that's okay. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus overturns the money-changing tables in the last week of his earthly ministry. In the Gospel of John, it's like the first thing he does, right? Uh, and, and the point isn't to get upset by the difference in timeline. It's to answer the question, why did this happen? Why was this important to record? Why did Jesus do this, right? And I also love in the Gospel of John, it says at the end, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, the whole world couldn't contain it. So that's kind of cool, right? So again, 
the Bible is not something we look at. It's something that we look through. It is the lens through which that we understand uh, God and we understand humanity and understand God and humanity together. Uh, Jerry, good to see you. Uh, thanks for, for logging in. Uh, and again, as I'm going, if you have questions uh, or, or comments, just uh, put them in, uh, put them in the uh, chat window there, uh, and I'll do my best uh, to answer them. So, with Jesus, let's start talking about Jesus's teaching, right? That's a good place place to start when we talk about it. Bonnie Dominic is here. Good to see you, Miss Bonnie. Um, talking about Jesus's teaching. Um, if you want to get familiar with the kinds of things that we don't have all, we don't have enough time to talk about all of Jesus's teachings. Like, like I said, the gospel of John said the whole world couldn't contain it. So we certainly can't cover it uh, in only an hour. If you want a good kind of snapshot of the things that Jesus taught, it's good to look at the gospel of Matthew chapters five through seven, right? The sermon on the Mount. Right, and there's a lot of things in there, and really, if we if we dive into Jesus's teachings, some of those te they're they're hard, <laughs> they're hard, they're they're difficult. Um, you know, uh, Jesus says, uh, "You've heard it said not not to murder anyone, but I say unto you, if you're holding anger in your heart against your brother, you are liable." Oh, yikes! Right, um, blessed are the poor. Uh, well, in Matthew, it's blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who work hard and can rest during retirement. Uh, no, it's says, blessed are the poor. Uh, are, are we in our churches living that beatitude, right? Uh, Jesus said uh, in this Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, do not swear falsely, but I say to you, don't swear at all. And that's not that's not using curse words. What Jesus means by that, you know, we take an oath on, you put, when you make a swear, when you take an oath, you put something up on collateral, right? Um, here, here's, here's my car. And, and if I don't keep my end of the bargain, you can have my car, right? What Jesus is saying there, don't, don't swear at all, which means as a Christian, you don't have to put up anything in collateral because you're not going to break your promise. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Like that's a, that's a tough, have we ever broken a promise before? Um, yeah, sure. Um, um, not intentionally, uh, or, or maybe intentionally like, yes, we'll go get Chick-fil-A tomorrow night. I promise we'll get Chick-fil-A tomorrow night. And then life happens and you don't get Chick-fil-A and you have to eat crow with your kids, you know? Um, but yeah, Jesus says, don't swear at all because as a Christian, you won't have to put up collateral because you are going to keep your promise right? Um, don't worry about anything. Jesus says that in Matthew chapters five through seven. Don't worry about anything. Really? <laughs> These teachings are hard. Don't worry about anything. God, God knows you. Uh, God, God can count the hairs on your head. Well, I won't say hairs on your head. That's, that doesn't make much sense in my context. Uh, but consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, right? Uh, God cares for them, and aren't you more important than they? Right? Don't worry. Don't worry about anything, but but seek the kingdom of God first. I love this one. Uh, Jesus says this in uh, that same Sermon on the Mount. Uh, don't pray like the hypocrites do. You know, they stand on street corners and they do it so everybody can see them. But go in secret. Go in your closet. Close the door and pray there. God will hear you. God will hear you. That's beautiful. And it's tough. Uh, it's especially for we preachers because we like to talk a lot and it also in, in front of people. 
Jesus also said, love your enemies, right? That's That goes in the category of the things that I wish Jesus hadn't said, because that's a really difficult teaching to love your enemies. And we could do a whole series on just on just that and, and, and what that means. That doesn't mean uh, like turn the other cheek, love your enemies. It doesn't mean that we are a walking mat, but it, it does mean that our anger against the other doesn't consume us, nor does it mean that we find our identity in what we are not. Right. And that's what, and I'm, let me get on my soapbox a little bit. That's kind of what the whole game of politics is about is making you hate the other person. Uh, at least as of late, right? Uh, don't vote, vote for me because of the things I believe in. Vote against the other person because you don't believe them, right? Uh, and that's a tough way to live. Uh, and Jesus, you know, Jesus also said, uh, when you have a party, don't invite your friends, but invite the people who will never repay you. Invite the lame and the poor. Um, in fact, the only time Jesus uses the word hope, this is interesting. Uh, the only time Jesus uses the word hope is when Jesus says, don't lend money in the hope of getting it back. <laughs> lend money because people need it, right? These are tough. These are tough teachings. And that's kind of where we start with Jesus is what are, what's the wisdom? What did Jesus teach? What, what was Jesus put on? We'll talk about this in a minute. What was Jesus? Why was Jesus here? Right? And, and the gospels, the gospels don't begin with the crucifixion. They all point toward the crucifixion, but they don't begin there. They all begin with Jesus's teachings. Why? Because that in large part is why God put on flesh is to show us how to live, how to be, how to live with one another. Uh, Jesus also taught, rarely did Jesus like host, like we're doing right now, uh, rarely did Jesus ever like host a Bible study on Isaiah, right? Yes, he taught in the synagogues, and we're going to talk about that this Sunday, uh, and I hope you all join us. Uh, so Jesus didn't say, Hey, we're going to spend four weeks in lamentations this week. So come at seven o'clock and do the, uh, he did teach in the synagogues, but most of the time outside of this kind of beatitude sermon flavor of teaching, Jesus, uh, taught through parables, stories, right? A sower went to sow some seeds. Uh, a man had two sons. Uh, a man was going, he was on the road to G Jericho and he was beaten up and left for dead. Uh, Laura is here. Good to see you, Laura. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Jesus taught in parables. And I, I love that because, you know, sometimes we have this thing in the church where there's this, there's this very sharp contrast and line between like culture and the church, right? You can only listen to Christian music. You can only go to Christian bowling alleys. You can only go to Christian ice cream shops. That's kind of silly. Uh, because we all culture is simply what we make of the world. God gives us the raw ingredients, and culture is what we cook up. Um, Jesus taught in parables, um, sayings that people understood. Right? Um, it, this is anachronistic, but it's you know, movies, music, food. You know, these things. A sower went to sow some seeds. It's agrarian, and the people the people got it. You know, a man had two sons, right? Inheritance, and people understood that. Uh, uh, and uh, a landowner had a vineyard, and he hired people early in the day to come work in the field, right? Uh, Jesus used kind of these cultural images to offer a lot of teachings about God, uh, which is one of the reasons why I love like diving into movies and music and art, and it's like Disney's Wally. -E. Disney's Wally -E is one of the best movies about who Jesus is. I love it. You know, uh, same thing with cool hand Luke. If you haven't seen cool hand Luke, go watch cool hand Luke. There's no more 
Christological movie, in my opinion, than, than Cool Hand Luke, right? Music, like Dave Matthews has this great song called Bartender, where he's asking for the wine that God gave Jesus that set him free after three days in the ground. You know, one year I did a, a sermon series on, uh, <laughs> it was called a hookerist, uh, not a hookahist, but a hookerist, which is a Eucharist service using only music by the who. And that was a lot of fun. And the opening song was I'm Free. I'm free. Down, now, 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 down. Oh, I have it on my shelf. Hold on. This is cool. All right. So, boom. Here was kind of the, um, when you get to the gym, uh, this was this was kind of the, the logo. Jesus Who. It was the Who, uh, the band. Jesus Who. We retold Jesus's life using music by the Who. Um, that song, I'm Free, which is from uh, uh, the Who's Tommy. Uh, here's the middle. So you know the song, right? I'm free. Down, 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 down. I'm free. Down, 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 down. Uh, anyway, the 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 verse of that song, I love it. It says, I've told you what it takes to reach the highest high. You'd laugh and say nothing's that simple. But you've been told many times before Messiah has pointed to the door and no one had the guts to leave the temple. That's the verse of the song. <laughs> My gosh. It's like telling, when we're talking about Jesus' baptism, I'm free. I'm ready. And, uh, um, and I'm waiting for you to follow me. Follow me. Like that was literally our sermon last week, right? So using music and movies and artwork and literature, it's, it's like Jesus telling parables. These are modern day parables. Not, not all of them are intended to be you know, Christian, right? Uh, when, when, uh, you know, I don't think Disney set out to tell a Christian story with Wally, uh, but the story is there like onward. Uh, it's so interesting. Not onward. Yeah. No soul. I'm thinking about soul. I mean, onward's a good, it's fine. Uh, but, but soul, uh, Disney soul, there's so much, so much we could talk about. So Jesus often talked about, uh, parables, uh, and I love what, what James Howell says uh, in, if I can find the reference. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, this right book. Page four. Virginia Mosier. Good to see you. Thank you for logging in uh, with us. Page 47. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're left. Maybe I haven't. Um, well, if you have the book on page 47, he talks about. Uh, the sower who went to sow some seeds. And it's so great because sometimes we we hear this parable. Oh, that's what it is. Um, I shared it on Facebook earlier, uh, if you may have found it. Uh, parables offer wisdom to those who spend time with them, uh, but it's confusing to the wise because they read shallowly. That's a terrible fair paraphrase. Go look on Facebook. I'll put it on Facebook. I can't find um, uh, the the actual quote right now. Uh, the parables offer this wisdom. Hey, Sabrina, good to see you. Thanks for, for logging in. Uh, and yes, soul is amazing. We, uh, we love it. Uh, in fact, Disney has these new on Disney Plus. They're called popcorn, Pixar popcorn or something. And it's a really cool soul. It's, it's like a minute and a half. It's great. And it's just a piece of jazz music and images from the movie. It's so great. Look it up. Um, be one of the cool kids and subscribe to Disney Plus. After you tithe to the church with your leftovers, go and subscribe to Disney Plus. Um, the sower went to sow some seeds. Sometimes we read that parable and say, I'm, I'm supposed to be good soil. Like that's the point of the parable is to be, uh, is to be good soil. Uh, but let's stop to consider who the sower is in the story. Here's this farmer 
who's flinging seeds in the thorny ground, in the shallow places, uh, in the hard soil and the good soil. You know, really, the parable might not be about us being good soil as much as it is the extravagant grace of God. No, no farmer in their right mind would sow seeds among the thorns. But yeah, here's the sower flinging seeds, even, even if it's, it, it rarely, rarely grows there. Like that's God's grace. Like God, God is even he's flinging these seeds of, of grace, uh, even in places that we don't think it will grow. Um, God's grace is, is extravagant. And, and that's what the parable is, is pointing us to. I love the parables because if we read them slowly, it offers us great wisdom. Uh, but if we if we just read and say you know go be good soil go do good things and like Jesus will will smile and be happy with you, um, I, we're missing a lot of of what's in what's in the parable there, right? So we start with Jesus's teachings, uh, like the Sermon on the Mount. That's a good snapshot of of the kinds of things that Jesus taught. The parables, um, yes, it's still it's still dirty work, you know. Um, I, I like to say because. Um, <laughs> And I still haven't. I need to clean my stole, my white stole. Uh, if you notice, I'll get it cleaned. I don't want to give give away all my secrets, but I have a, a makeup stain uh, right here on my on my stole. And, and I remember this was back several years ago when I was at a different church, and someone said, "Aren't you going to clean that? Aren't you concerned about getting your stole dirty?" And I said, "If I'm concerned about getting my stole dirty, I'm in the wrong line of work." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Christianity can be really messy. Uh, sometimes, uh, for all the, all the right reasons, though, I do need to get my stole cleaned. <laughs> it's been, it's been a while. So, uh, Jesus's teachings from Matthew five through seven is a good snapshot of, of the kinds of things that Jesus taught. Uh, and also the way in which Jesus taught, uh, often, uh, is through parables, these kind of cultural stories that people understood in order to reveal, uh, the work of God. Not only did Jesus teach, but Jesus also healed. Uh, he was he was a healer, and most often when he healed someone, or not, uh, I don't know if I would say most often, but a lot of the times when Jesus healed, he healed on the Sabbath, which was kind of a no no. We're going to talk about this on Sunday, actually, and I hope you tune in. Um, healings were always uh, often. I won't say always. Healings were often a teaching moment. So this Sunday we're we're talking about Jesus's teachings. Next week, I love the uh, I don't want to say that because I made the title. I'm about to say I love the title of the sermon two weeks from now. <laughs> of course I do. I wrote it. The title is "He Cured Many." Um, it's interesting to think about that Jesus didn't cure all that were in Jerusalem and in Galilee. He cured many. That's what Scripture says. He cured many. So why is that? Right. Uh, but Jesus was was a healer. Uh, he he exercised uh, demons. He healed a man with a withering hand. He healed a woman who had been suffering, uh, bleeding for for twelve years. Raised Jairus's daughter. Raised Lazarus. Uh, the body was was very important to Jesus, uh, and also communicating through that healing, communicating that the ultimate um, sickness, the sickness unto death would also be redeemed. So a lot of these healings are foreshadowing the, the big reveal and the, the climax of the covenant, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. Uh, it reveals that even Jesus masters death. God is the master of death in the person of Jesus, right? So Jesus was also a healer. 
Jesus also performed miracles, <clears throat> uh, several uh, miracles. Uh, it's interesting in today's world to talk about miracles because there, there's kind of, um, unfortunately, uh, hey, Tracy, Tracy's logged in. Good to see you, Tracy. Um, hope Ronnie's feeling better. Um, we often get these two tent poles in terms of, of miracles when we're talking about them. You have, you have the folks who say, uh, believe that, believe that all of the miracles happened exactly as they were. And if you don't believe all the miracles happened exactly as they were, you're not Christian and you're not a person of faith. Then we kind of have this other tent pole that talks about, uh, well, miracles were just the, the scripture writers trying to figure out these, these magnificent things that Jesus were doing. And they're all metaphors and this kind of thing. And of course, like with all things, uh, be careful of a false dichotomy, right? Uh, somewhere in the middle, we find an understanding of, of miracles, right? So one, miracles can't just be uh, an explanation for the unexplained, right? We don't know how this happened, therefore it's a miracle. Uh, that's, that's dangerous to think of miracles that way because uh, one day we might know how to explain how that thing happened. <laughs> and it, it, so is it now void of God? Is it void of miracles? Um, another thing, we, we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss miracles. Uh, so let's use some logic. Um, everything, uh, we, we, we tend to assume that we live in a world of, of cause to effect right? Something happens and that causes something else to happen, cause and effect, right? Um, I, I drop a water bottle and it falls to the ground, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If we rewind that clock, cause and effect, so we go from an effect back to the cause, which is an effect from another cause. If we rewind that clock back, at some point, there was an uncaused effect, right? Uh, Big Bang, creation, something out of nothing uh, happened at some point. And, and that's actually true on the quantum level, if you want to dig into it. There are particles on the quantum level that uh, appear out of nowhere, and then they disappear. Particles kind of appear on their own accord. Um, is that miraculous? Well, maybe we don't know how to explain that yet, but it seems, to the best of our knowledge, uh, that particles can just exist and then disappear. Uh, kind of on their own. In other words, if we roll that back, we will eventually get to an uncaused effect. Something that happens that wasn't caused by something in the real world. Like I said, uh, you can call it the Big Bang, you can call it creation, call it the beginning, right? So, something, an uncaused effect. Uh, so what, um, what does an uncaused effect look like? I would argue that an uncaused effect looks like water into wine. An uncaused effect looks like feeding 5,000 people with uh, five loaves and two fish. An uncaused effect looks like resurrection, right? So let's not be too dismissive of miracles because even when we look at the real world, uh, uncaused effects can happen. Like So, so we kind of need to find ourselves in the middle. The point of the miracles isn't to, Jesus walked on water, therefore I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Like that that's not the point of the of those miracles. Uh, it does communicate to us that Jesus, well, because water was a symbol of chaos uh, in, in, in Hebrew symbology. So Jesus walking on water means that Jesus is above the chaos, right? Who is this who calms the wind and the waves, right? Uh, so there is, there is metaphor. There is uh, symbolism there, the water into wine. Why did you save the best wine for last? Uh, it's all talking about the glory of God. 
Uh, so we need to find ourselves in the middle of these, these two tent poles, understanding that the point of the miracles was to point us to God. I love this. After Jesus fed the 5,000, it was either the next day or a couple days later, uh, the same crowd came back. And Jesus is like, are you following me just because I, I fed you? <laughs> They're like, there's more to this than the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Um, there's more to the miracles than just saying, well, God is really powerful in Jesus. It's a teaching moment to point us to the glory of God, right? So we have teachings, we have healings, and we have miracles. And of course, uh, as I said, the gospels don't start with the crucifixion, but they all point there. Uh, hey, Minnie, uh, Minnie is tuned in. Good to see you, Minnie. Happy anniversary. Is today your anniversary or was it yesterday? Um, anyway, happy anniversary all the same. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, uh, the Gospels don't start with um, the crucifixion, but they all point to the cru crucifixion. Uh, Jesus is suffering death and resurrection. And most of the Gospel, uh, most of the it spends most of its time in Holy Week. Uh, Mark, uh, or maybe it's John, uh, half of the Gospel is, is spent uh, detailing just the last week of Jesus's life, right? They're all pointing uh, to the cross. Uh, and one question that I that I get a lot is, oh yeah, it's today. Happy anniversary. Uh, yeah, miracle also uh, brought more storytelling. Go tell go tell what happened. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. That's right. Um, yeah, the, the healings too, not in the Gospel of Mark, but in the other Gospels. Um, go to the go to the temple and present yourself to the priests. Right, uh, spreading spreading that spreading that word. Um, anyway, so Jesus is suffering death and resurrection. All the gospels are, are pointing there. So what, what I get this question a lot, like, why did Jesus have to die? And, and the quick answer is because Jesus was born, right? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, Jesus was born. So one day Jesus was going to die. A, a better question is why did they kill Jesus? It's a little bit, bit of a different question instead of why did Jesus have to die? Why did they kill Jesus? Understand that according to the Jewish tradition, if Jesus was being blasphemous, he would have been stoned, like the stoning of Stephen. Uh, but Jesus was not stoned. Jesus was crucified, which meant that Jesus died as a uh, uh, political rebel from Rome. That crucifixion was reserved for uh, uh, rebels against uh, against Rome. Why did they kill Jesus? Is because Jesus, uh, at least in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, overturned the money changing tables during Holy Week when the city was a powder keg. Um, he uh, did not bow down to Rome. Also, didn't overthrow Rome. Right? We let's let's not forget that he did not lead an insurrection. Um, why did they kill Jesus? Uh, in the Gospel of John, it's really interesting. They killed they whoever you know they the Roman authorities. <clears throat> the reason Jesus was crucified in the Gospel of John is because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and if you could raise people from the dead, uh, maybe you shouldn't be here, right? Or, or like, I, I think God, The Godfather is one of my favorite movies. It's probably my second favorite movie because I, I lump Godfather 1 and 2 together. So Godfather 1 and 2, yeah, it's like my second favorite movie. Top three. Number one is Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Fantastic movie. Love it. Godfather 1 and 2. Uh, and then, like my guilty, I really love Braveheart. 
I love Braveheart. I know like it's a love or hate thing. Like it's not historically accurate at all, but I'm a sucker for Scottish accents and like fighting with swords. So there you go. I love and bagpipes sucker for bagpipes. So I love Braveheart. Um, Jesus was a political opponent. Uh, and that's what Rome did to political opponents. You know, uh, in the gospel of John, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that's the reason the Pharisees gathered and said, we need to get rid of this man. Uh, here's a quote, page 54 of Dr. Howell's book. Let me see if, um, if I can find it. Oh yeah. He says, uh, the Roman authorities under the brutal Pontius Pilate. Oh, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother lesson. Because when we read the Gospels, it almost seems like the Gospels are 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 getting, uh, they're leaving Pontius Pilate off the hook. But that's not that's not what happens actually. Uh, Pontius Pilate is is using Jesus as as a puppet in front of the crowd. We don't have time to get into that. But it's not like Pontius Pilate was innocent. I don't really want to kill him. I don't want to do that. Uh, he's using Jesus as a political pawn. He's waiting for the crowd to say, "We have no king but Caesar." That's when Pilate eventually says, okay, you can crucify him. He's using him as political bait. And it worked. He got the crowd to blaspheme en masse during their holiest time of the year. We have no king but Caesar. Ah, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. I'm going to now get a promotion from Caesar. Thank you. My job here is done. Now you can crucify him. The Roman authorities under the brutal Pontius Pilate were more than skittish about the potential for armed revolution. Jesus's every action, his uh, choice of who he befriended, his failure to bow to the powers that be, uh, his his boldness and offensive act of driving out the money changers from the temple led to a contrived trial and execution, an untimely and gruesome end for a 30-year-old teacher. There you go. Uh, He was a threat. Hey, Candy, uh, good to see you. Thank you for logging in. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, here. Um, we're going to talk a a lot more about this in Lent. We're actually, oh, um, so this is our study uh, during Lent. It's called Savior by uh, my buddy, McGray DeVega. Uh, He's there on the back. He uh, was the co-author of um, this book that um, he and I uh, and Ingrid and April uh, wrote together. Uh, and and McGray was kind of the leading lead author of this book. Uh, so I know him well, and I'm excited about uh, his next book. It's called Savior. This is going to be our Lenten study. And in this book, it talks about six different ways of understanding the cross. Uh, and I'll give you just the title of contents, um, the title of contents, the table, table of contents. Uh, chapter one, substitution theory. Rant, chapter two, ransom theory. Chapter three is moral example. Chapter four is reconciliation. Chapter five is cleansing. And chapter six is Christ as the victor. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that during Lent. Um, that's going to be our, our series. I'm excited about that. Um, all of that to say, um, the cross is where Jesus's story is heading. And Jesus knows that. As I mentioned last week, this story about Jesus's teachings begin when, when it says after John was arrested and, and you know what happens when you don't get, you don't pay bail, you know, uh, as it happened with John, your head ends up on a platter when you're arrested by the Roman authority. Right. 
um, the story is, is always pointing to the cross, but that all, that's also not where the story ends, right? The story ends with the empty tomb and the resurrection. Uh, and, and the resurrection is uh, the sign and the symbol that God's, God's word can be trusted. Jesus redeems even death itself. So there's a great book. Uh, I don't recommend that you read it because it's really, really long. Uh, and it's, it's translated from German. Jürgen Moltmann uh, is a fantastic theologian. Uh, and he wrote this, if I can find it. See, I put the bookmark in here and I don't even underline what I meant to say. He's talking about Easter faith. Da, 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 da. Oh, um, um, oh, what was it? Um, I'll paraphrase it. I can't find it. You, Matt, Matt Rawl, why did you not underline it? Because that was a great line. Anyway, what? So, um, oh, uh, oh yeah. Okay, here it is. Um, the res is this it? Oh yeah. The new and scandalous element in the Christian message of Easter was not that some man or other was raised before anyone else, but that the one who was raised was this condemned, executed, and forsaken man. This is the unexpected element of the resurrection, which created this new righteousness of faith. Then, and probably even now, the problematical question was and is not just whether the resurrection of Jesus is physically, biologically, or historically possible and conceivable, but also whether the resurrection of the crucified Christ corresponds to the righteousness of God. And then here's his point. That's a lot of big words. But if God raised this dishonored man in his coming righteousness, it follows that in this crucified figure, he manifests his true righteousness, the right of the unconditional grace, which makes righteousness the unrighteousness and those uh, without rights. In sum, uh, what he's saying is that being crucified in, in Scripture, uh, in, <laughs> Chrissy, yes, I, I am a hot mess, man. I, my, my brain's going a mile a minute. I've had probably seven cups of coffee. I know you can't see this, but my I have my leg extended out here uh, because my leg is cramping because I've had way too much coffee and not enough water. So let me let me remedy some of that right now. Yeah, I'm a hot mess. I'm just I'm just talking. I'm just trying to communicate Jesus as fast as I can in one hour. And I have four kids, uh, so that's that's enough. What this is saying. So in the Hebrew Scriptures. If you are crucified, you are condemned and you're, you're shamed and you're cursed. And Jesus raises, uh, God raises Jesus. And in that moment, in that moment, uh, Jesus, according to the scriptures, is a cursed man and God raises him anyway. And if God can raise even those who have been cursed, then God can raise us, right? God, God, um, as it says in Philippians 2, uh, we're not going to have time to get to it. Oh, Lord, we have like five minutes left um, before band practice because the band's going to come in. My kids are going to come in uh, because the kids are hanging out with me tonight uh, for band practice because we're giving we're giving mommy a little bit of a break uh, uh, tonight. Um, here's the climax of the covenant. There's another great book uh, by. Um, oh, who's it by? It's called The Climax of the Covenant. I think it starts with a W. Uh, yeah, N.T. Wright. 
Wright is over here. N.T. Wright. Uh, it's called the climax of the covenant. And in sum, in summary, Jesus is the climax of God's covenant. Um, in Deuteronomy, at the uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, not the end, but it's like De Deuteronomy. Hmm, see, there's six or twenty-six. I'll look it up. I'm Methodist. I have to look it up. Uh, I don't have it memorized. Um, Moses says, if you follow the law, everything will be good. Uh, and you'll be blessed. If you don't follow the law, then you will be cursed. And uh, the people didn't follow the law. So Israel had been cursed. How do you reverse that curse? But God puts on flesh and is born under the curse in order to reverse the curse by uh, being victorious over death. That's a lot of words. All of that to say is the cross is about God suffering with us, but also showing us how to live. Uh, which means that we are called to carry the cross as well. And our story does not end in death. Our story ends in life. And therefore, there is nothing to fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, all of that is summarized. Where's my Bible? I promise I had it. Oh, here it is. It's under the, it's under the Jesus who. Uh, all of that is summarized by the Philippian Christ hymn. Uh, it's Philippians chapter 2. This is what it says. Uh, let the same mind be in you. Remember, we started today. The, one of the reasons why we read the Gospels is to have the same mind of Christ, not to make Jesus in our image, but the other way around, to, to have the same mind of Christ. Uh, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If for some reason you have to skip the Gospels, then Philippians chapter two is a great place to start. It summarizes um, all of Jesus's life. Next week, we'll talk about kind of the church's interpretation of Jesus and how the church has manifested living uh, in a Christ-like way, uh, some, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill. Uh, we'll talk about how like the creeds were developed, how we came to this understanding uh, that Jesus is fully human and fully divine, uh, and, and all of these things. So let me pause uh, for a moment because I've given you zero opportunity uh, to ask questions. I'm going to take a sip of water so my leg doesn't cramp up. Uh, any questions? Any thoughts? Um, any reflections? And that binging, if you're hearing it, that tone that you're hearing is from my daughter's um, iPod Touch that I have confiscated so that she actually participates in youth group tonight uh, instead of looking at her phone. Uh, I'll give it back to them at seven o'clock uh, when they'll come into my office, um, which is momentary, which is right now. They might, they might interrupt us. Any questions, thoughts, or, or reflections that, that you wanted to share? Hey, Craig, good to see you. You made it at the very end. Uh, long time, man. Long time. No see. Seeing none, uh, so next week we're going to talk about the church, right? So we've talked about scripture in terms of introducing Christianity. We've talked about scripture. 
we've talked about the life of Jesus. We didn't cover everything, but that's okay because in the Gospel of John, it says that if we if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, the world itself couldn't contain the pages, right? So we talk about Jesus tonight. Next week, we'll talk about the church. How was the church born? What is that church history? How do we get here uh, today? Uh, so we're going to talk about some of that history and what we've inherited uh, as, as people of faith. Thank you for joining me uh, tonight. Please spread the word, share uh, the video. Tomorrow, uh, I'm going to upload the audio to our podcast. And then this video uh, will also be on Amplify Media, our uh, Asbury digital library. Log on to that. Subscribe to that. That's a great way to get a lot of great uh, Christian material uh, in your own home, on your phone, your computer, or your smart TV. Uh, and I also hope that you join us on Sunday for our Jesus of Nazareth series. You're getting a lot of Jesus right now, and I'm not going to apologize about it. Uh, so be well, uh, rest well tonight. Um, uh, I'll end with a prayer that we used to end with uh, when I was at the Wesley Foundation with Sean Anglum. So I, um, uh, oh, good, to, from from uh, downtown Little Rock, rock and roll. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've been to downtown Little Rock. I've even been to North Little Rock, and I didn't know North Little Rock was a thing until I went to North Little Rock. Anyways, totally separate city. How about that? Let us pray. Gracious God, you made the days of, uh, you made the works of light uh, for us. You also made the night for the refreshment of minds and bodies. Keep us now and grant us a peaceful evening for this day and for this night, we give our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, hey, come on in, come on in. Uh, my daughters are done a youth group, so they're they're coming in. Uh, you want to come say hi to everybody? Uh, who is they? Uh, the World Wide Web. Uh, everyone, so Izzy is here. Uh, she's going to hang out with me. Yeah, fix your hair, man. You're looking homeless, man. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Where is Annie here? Yeah, she's like, I'm going to go play basketball. Okay, Annie's playing basketball. Anyway, everyone... Have a good night. Uh, love you. Hope to see you on Sunday, either virtually or in uh, in the sanctuary. Have a good night.